tonight and to see all of you who have come for our Bible class at five o'clock. We have another adult class that's course in the annex. We have children's classes that are uh, in process, progress now. While there's still a lot of uh, concerns and a lot of folks still um, studying and worshiping via um, our live stream, thank you for being a part of our Bible class. It's, again, great to be able to study. I hope you'll turn your Bibles to Psalm 119. This is our 11th uh, time to dig into Psalm 119. And we are, of course, studying God's Word. Every time we open our Bibles, we're studying God's Word. But we are looking at Psalm 119 because each section of eight verses, as Psalm 119 is laid out as a song, and as each stanza, eight verses apiece, they all address the Word of God from a different point of view. 
they give us a, a different insight into God's eternal truth that we need to understand, that we can understand, and that we can apply in our lives. So I hope that these lessons, that you don't intend for these lessons to be the, the end all of everything that you need because they can't be. I hope that these will encourage you to dig into these sections a little more. As we begin tonight, a uh, couple of quick announcements. Uh, there'll be no puppet meeting tonight, I was supposed to announce. So if you were intending to be a part of that, there will be no uh, meeting tonight. Um, and Ricky Green is, uh, his brother, I mean, is worse. And that's, they're not here tonight for that reason. And I thought we would announce that, that I got a guy texted me this afternoon that Ricky's brother is doing worse. Let's bow for a word of prayer as we begin tonight. Thank you, Father, for allowing us the privilege and the opportunity of being your children, for allowing us to come before your throne on the bended knees of our hearts to thank you for all that you do for us, to petition you on the behalf of those who are sick and those who are hurting, to petition you on behalf of our nation, and on behalf of ourselves, that we would be the servants that we should be. And as uh, tonight especially, as we open your truth and dig into it, may we have open minds and ready hearts to think about all that you would have us to know regarding your magnificent eternal truth and how it should motivate us and how it should move us as we live on this earth for you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Now tonight, as we move into this, you'll notice that this particular set of verses, that of course is the Hebrew letter uh, for that heads up this stanza in this psalm or this song, but verses 65 through 72 show us the importance of a correct perspective. Last week, the last two weeks, in the prior eight verses, we dug into some words because there were uh, a number of verbs that helped us understand how the Word of God should motivate us, how the Word of God should move within us. Well, tonight we, we come to, there are only three areas. We're going to divide this section into three parts tonight. The importance of a correct perspective in God's Word guides us in that regard. Well, first of all, what is a perspective? What is a perspective? Hmm? The way you look at something. Very good. Uh, the word perspective in English comes from a Latin root that means to um, perceive or to look through. So literally, it's how I see something, how I look at something. Now, does our perspectives change the way we behave? Uh, yeah. Sure, of course it does. Does it change not only how we... Um, take something in, it changes how we interpret it. It changes how that something affects us and, and whether or not we react uh, to it or with it and use it. So as we look at this passage, I want us to think about the perspective, the importance uh, of a correct perspective. And we're going to go ahead and break down the verses a little bit. I need a correct perspective concerning how God deals with me. Now, I asked someone to read verses 65 through 68. Brother Ken, will you do that for us? You don't 
Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You're good and do good. Teach me your statutes. Yeah. I, I, I challenge you tonight, or I, I warn you like I did last week, that we're going to dig a little deeper. If you are studying this passage as a child of God, and you study it personally to find within it what God says to you through His Word about your perspective, then it's going to move you a little bit. It's, it's going to make you stop and think. It, it may get on your toes a little bit. So in the first few verses, I need to correct perspective. I need to see correctly and understand how God deals with me. Hmm. I have dealt, or you have dealt well with your servant. Now, the word dealt, what does that mean? I want us to look at some takeaways. In the very first takeaway, God deals with his servants. If you and I are his servants, God deals with us. Hmm. Now, the word deals, this Hebrew word is interesting to me because when we think about dealt, or we think about deal, just in our English language framework or in our perceptions, we might think of, well, having a, you know, dealing with somebody, making deals, how we deal with the public, that kind of thing. But this word actually is a little more intense than that. In its Hebrew form, the Hebrew word has the idea of laboring or working about something, um, producing something, creating something. So wait a minute. If I understand that word, then David said, you have dealt with your servant well, that God deals with us, excuse me, God works with us very closely in trying to produce something. In trying, It reminds me of that song that uh, we sang it years ago in Tishomingo. I don't know if we've ever sung it here. Thou art the potter. And I am the clay, okay? Mold me and make me after your way. That's exactly what David's talking about here. You've dealt with me according to your word. You know what makes me think of Philippians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Of course, we know what verse 6 says. Verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Now, okay, right in the middle, the Lord is at hand. Very unlikely this talking about the timing, about he's about to come. That's not the context here. But the idea of proximity, let your reasonableness be known to... But to me, the Lord is at hand seems to go with that next idea, be anxious for nothing. But in everything. And, and that reminds me, and I mentioned that verse because it, it helps me understand, is that God is not a hands-off God, but a hands-on God. David said, you've dealt with me. Look, we need to make sure we understand. Sometimes, and this is just one per- preacher's opinion, one person's opinion. You can take it, you can leave it, probably should leave it. But in my humble opinion, we, and I say we, in the Lord's church, if we're not careful, preachers, teachers, scholars, whoever, whatever you want to call those who uh, teach and talk, we have pushed so far backward trying to get away from the denominational error or error regarding God's contact with us that we have missed that God has contact with us. 
that God deals with us. He is active in our lives. Him being active through his truth is not just academic. I read it, and I read it, and if I do it, I'm okay. If I don't do it, I'm not okay, and, and that's kind of the end of the story. No, just like this morning, when Brother Ken talked about the Word of God being living and powerful, well, David says you, he deals with us through his truth. That's a very powerful thought to me when I think about it. But then I think about the second takeaway. God teaches us discernment and knowledge when we follow his word. Isn't that what David said in that passage? Teach me good judgment and knowledge. The idea of discernment. What exactly is discernment? Hmm? Say that again. Deciding, that's right, knowing how to decide, being able to understand, thank you very much, deciding, being able to understand what's in front of you. Again, I'm taken back to a verse we've studied recently, Romans chapter 12, in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you might be able to prove what is that good and acceptable will of the Lord. One translation says that you might, through testing, discern the will of the Lord. That you might be able to understand. If I understand, David prayed through your word, Father, help me have better judgment to understand your word. But careful that you don't fall into kind of a circle reasoning there. I've got to understand the word to understand the word so I can understand the word and then understand the word. That's, that's just being silly. That's not what it says. That God, through his word, that living and powerful word, God who deals with me, will help me not just understand it better the more I study it, but he will help me understand how it fits me. And how I work not only in it, but through it to become better at being a servant of the Lord. Now that's the takeaway that I hope that we will uh, use Another takeaway from this passage, as you notice the reading there, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. I can go astray, but I can return. I can go astray, but I can return. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. Then what does he say in verse 10? If we say we have not sinned, or from our sins, I knew I missed something, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we have lied, and that his word is not in us. We make him to lie, and his word is not in us. Now, wait a minute. I can go astray, but I can return. And if I think that I can't, if I think that I don't, if I forget that the, that word go astray in the Hebrew simply means wander off. It simply means wander away from where I'm supposed to be. You know, it makes me think, sometimes when we start thinking on our own, we, we think we can do anything. We think we're just fine. It reminds me of many years ago when I was a teenager. Um, I decided I would go beyond where the hunting area was when I'd go hunting with my dad down in Itawamba County. So I just took off on my own. And I walked and walked and found this wonderful terrace. And I, I walked for an hour. And I came out of the woods, and when I came out of the woods, I took two steps in this little, little logging road and thought, that looks familiar. Then I looked up, and the truck was about 100 feet. I'd been walking for an hour. 
going absolutely nowhere. Uh, but in my mind, I was breaching new ground and going far on my own. I, sometimes I go astray when I leave it up to myself. But I can return. David said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. And that brings us to something that we probably have to dig deeper into in our own personal study, is that affliction helps me keep God's word. Well, that's what David said. He said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. That word affliction can mean discipline. Uh, it can mean chastisement, which means um, reprimand or reproof. It means to, to deal hardly with. Now, that's kind of powerful. That, that's in the Scripture, and that's what David said. That He said, before I was afflicted, he said, you've dealt with me well, Lord. He, this is in the context of God's dealing. And he said, you've dealt with me well, Lord, with your servant. Before I was afflicted, I wandered off. But now, after being afflicted, I keep your word. Now, that's an interesting study in and of itself. But when I think of, um, uh, well, we'll get to some verses here in a little bit. But the idea that David, so I'm going to hold a verse here. The idea that David says, Lord, you've afflicted me and now I've come back. The, the psalmist, I was reading in um, one of Charles Spurgeon's commentary on this verse. He said that the psalmist proclaims the uh, excellent uses of adversity and the goodness of God in afflicting him. Now, you know, that doesn't sit well with the human mind, does it? The human nature. Do you hear what he said? The psalmist proclaims the goodness of God in afflicting him and the uses of affliction. You think, wait a minute. But that's what David said. But let's come, we'll come back to that before we end. But let's go ahead and, and look at that second part. Not only do I need a, a correct perspective about the way God deals with me, I need a correct perspective concerning how the world deals with God. Because after all, they surround me. Okay? 69 to 70, please, sir. Okay, when I think about that, let's make sure we aren't the insolent or the proud. The insolent, the proud, literally the arrogant and presumptuous. What is a presumptuous person? That's a word that we may not use a lot. The idea of being presumptuous. You say, well, that means being proud or arrogant. or Yes and no. If I am presumptuous, yes, I'm arrogant. And yes, I'm proud. And yes, I'm probably a little, a uh, couple of other things, but presumptuous. I presume or I assume that I can do this because, after all, I'm me. I, I, I take it upon myself. I presume that I have the right because it's owed to me, because it is mine. And if you'll notice here, that falls in a negative context. The insolent, he said, what did he say that Tommy read to us? Smear me with lies. The word smear there, I'm not a real fan, a real big fan of that English translation. The, the, the King James, I think, says um, to, 
well, to forge. But the idea, if we're not careful, we get the idea or we might think that that just means telling lies about us, saying negative things about us or, or lying on us. Now, that certainly could be included like a smear campaign or smear tactics or that. But it's a little deeper than that. This word in the Hebrew literally has the idea of patching or sewing together. Huh. Patching or sewing together. In other words, to frame lies or deceptive speech artfully so that it looks truthful and colorful. <laughs> Ooh, now that, does that ever happen in our world today? Uh, like every day somewhere? No, don't start telling names, please. Uh, but think about that for a second. That word has the idea of patching together lies so that it forms a web of, well, that doesn't look so bad in back here, until you look at it individually. Now, it makes me think of, in Matthew chapter 5, what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake, for so they persecuted the prophets before you. So we know... I guess what I'm trying to say is we have to be careful to say, well, everything's fine because nobody's talked about me lately. Nobody has directly said anything about this congregation or me as an individual. So this verse doesn't necessarily apply to me. But according to this word, the idea, if I, if I think about it just a little bit, uh, the idea is a web of deceitful things of deceit that's out there, so that we began, uh, the world around us began to think that what's... Now, what was it in the Old Testament? The prophet said, uh, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And we began to wonder, have we been right all this time? Or, or, or maybe we're wrong for thinking that such some behaviors are not right because, you know, everybody seems... Wasn't too long ago, I, I've heard uh, uh, young people say these words that, well, you know, it's kind of a social norm now. Well, this is true about a whole lot of things. But I want you to think about what David said now and, and then look a little. Let, let's take some, look at some takeaways before I look at one more word here. My heart should focus on God's word when surrounded by lies of an arrogant and sinful world. When I am trying to live for God and in an arrogant world that presumes they can tell us how to live, that assumes that there is no God and therefore they, whoever they are, can make the rules. See, I want you to understand something here. I'm about to use a word that I'm glad your children are not in here because your children would probably say, he's not a bad word, Mama. At least I hope you've taught them that well. But this word... If you look in that text when it said they are, their hearts are fat like grease. But it says in the ESV that their heart is unfeeling like fat. That Greek word has the idea of literally being thick and insensitive. Physically, in a physical sense, but in a mental or spiritual sense, to be stupid. You know, we've used the word, in Tishomingo County, we didn't know what stupid meant, but we know what stupid was. Uh, but if you call someone stupid, what you really were doing was insulting them, just saying, basically, you didn't like them. But the truth is, we've kind of made that word just a, a word we throw out there, when in fact, to be stupid, many, many years ago, were applied to those who had mental 
problems. And even then, not correctly. The idea of being stupid is when I have become so insensitive and thick that I cannot function. I can't function cognitively. So we've turned it into a bad word when in fact, spiritually, if I become so thick, so insensitive with whatever I have insulated myself in that I no longer hear God, I no longer feel God's presence, I no longer can be touched by His Word, didn't the Bible talk about, doesn't the New Testament talk about those who had their conscience seared with a hot iron? Now, what does that mean? That skin is what? Thick and insensitive. I can become that. The scripture is clear on that. And, and that's, David said, this world, the world is that way. These individuals who are surrounding us with this patchwork of decep deception. Now, what did David say? My heart should focus on God's word when I'm surrounded by those individuals. And also, the arrogant are not teachable. Isn't that what he said? That the arrogant... Um, are not teachable. The insolent smear with lies my whole heart. Uh, their heart is unfeeling, but I should be. In Hebrews chapter 12, um, or rather Hebrews chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, being designated by God as a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, he goes through this whole sp uh, series talking about Christ. These people should understand. What does he say in the next verse, though? Now, this is interesting. You know, Paul did not mince words. And he said to a group of people, he's already told them in chapter 5, or he's going to just in the next phrase, that you ought to be teachers, but you, you need somebody to teach you. Look what he said in verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain. He said, we've got a lot to say, and it's going to be hard to get it across to you. Now, I promise I'm not trying to look or appear or act as though I'm being ugly. But if you read that context, Paul is actually saying, what does he say? Since you have become, what? Dull of hearing. It's the same concept. Paul is saying, I have a lot to say to you. But the truth is, it's going to be really, really, really hard for me to get it into... My mama said it. Anybody ever heard? You've got to. Oh, I just saw somebody mouth it. You got to get that through your. Oh, your what? Now, was that usually when mother or grandmother said that she was usually not happy about something? And what was she saying? Had, that person needed medical attention because the the density of their skull had increased overnight, right? It wasn't the skull that had a problem. It was what was on the inside of the skull that had a problem. What was mom saying? That you're not paying attention. You're not getting it. Paul said, some of you aren't going to get this without a whole lot of work because you've allowed yourself to get thick-headed spiritually. And you can't do that. That's right. And that's, this word insolent is the same thing. The proud here, they're not teachable. Their hearts are like fat. It's thick. It can't be penetrated. They've put themselves, but I have to be. 
Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I want us to look at a passage here. Let's take the time to read this. David said that the insolent smear me with lies, surround me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling, thick, but I keep. Do we live in a time now where the same kind of people, the same kind of arrogant, unfeeling people surround us with a web of deceit as far as what true is? Right is? Well, I want you to look at Second Timothy chapter 3 and notice this. But understand this, that in the last days there will be, and he's talking about a period of time, folks, and we're in that period of time. There will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having an appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Now, notice what he says in verse 11, or verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching. Paul's talking to Timothy. My conduct, my aim of life. Folks, long ago, Paul penned through the Holy Spirit. And please don't be offended by this, but I told Lisa the other day, at least I feel this way from my own perspective, that I, as a Christian, I'm going to say I, because I don't want to rein anybody else into this. But I, as a Christian, in the last 20 years, have gotten absolutely fat. And I'm not talking about this. I've gotten fat and spoiled because life's been pretty good. Nobody's been, uh, you know, complain about this election or complain about these taxes or do this and that, but life's been great. And now all of a sudden, sin's getting loud and the devil's making noise and rattling his saber loud enough that it's keeping me awake sometimes and that bothers me. And now all of a sudden I'm thinking, oh my, how bad the world has got. And Paul said, I can just see Paul shaking his head and say, friend, I told Timothy and I'm, I told you the last time you read this that that day is coming. That those days are going to continue to come. More and more people. And they're going to grow up and they're going to have children and they're going to grow up and they're going to get famous and they're going to have voices on the here and the there and be quite there, Mr. Preacher. Because Paul said it's, it's going to happen. God said through Paul it's going to happen. But he said of Timothy, you have followed. They won't follow the word. They're going to love themselves more than God. They're going to call God's name when it suits them, but it's not going to mean a thing to them. But you have kept, you have followed. And that's exactly what David is talking about here. I have to continue to be teachable. And I have to be willing to continue to focus on the Word of God. I have to have a right perspective about the way the world deals with God. The world has always rejected God. The world has always tried to find a way. In fact, what was it God told Cain? 
God told Cain before Cain even made the decision. He said, sin is way out on the plain trying to find a way over here. He didn't say that, did he? He said, it's at the door. What door? Your front door, friend. Sin's at the door. Just waiting on you to give it an opportunity. It's always been that way. We have to have a perspective about the way God deals with us and about the way God deals, or the world deals with God. But now I want to make sure that we don't leave out verses 71 and 72 because we need to dig a little deeper. Okay, read that, please. Now, wait a minute. I need a correct perspective concerning my response to how God deals with me. Now, I want to tell you up front, I'm not going to tell you all that I don't know. That would take a long time. But I'm going to tell you that when you look into Scripture, and in just a moment we're going to read a a passage that is probably not studied as much as it should be. Ah, that's where we're headed. That's where we'll be in just a moment. Because you can't think about this without going to Hebrews 12. That's right. I want you, David said, it is good that I was afflicted. Now remember, he's talking to God. And he said, God, you've dealt with me, and God, you are good. And I think I missed one of those up in the first few verses. He said, God, you are good, and you do good. God is always good. God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. That's not just a saying, that's a truth, that's a reality. That means there's not a single thing that happens to me that I can point my finger and say God did it on purpose to hurt me. Or that God should have. Wait a minute. Because in James 1 verse 13, let no man say when he is tempted... Not just tempted to to go out and commit some sin, but when I'm tempted to slack off because I'm just upset. I'm upset because things are not going my... I'm upset because bad things have happened to me and to people I love. And if God really... Oh, wait a minute. Let no man, no person say when he is tempted or she is tempted that he or she is tempted of God. For God... What? Cannot be tempted with evil, and neither does he tempt anyone. I cannot blame anything on God in suggesting that God has somehow failed me or done something wrong, that God has somehow committed a negative, because God didn't do that. Okay? So let's think then about this next verse just a little bit. I was thinking, let's some takeaways. Um, I was reading, one, uh, doing a little reading, and I thought this was an interesting quote, so I wrote it down. The good shepherd uses affliction to discipline and rescue wayward sheep. And we read that and think, wait, what? Well, David said it was good that I was afflicted. Because David said, then I learned, first of all, affliction teaches me God's statutes. Well, isn't that what David said? It was good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. And then the second, well, let's wait a minute before we go to that one. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. 
in Hebrews chapter 12. And we're going to read the first 10 verses. We have to see all of it. Now, before you consider saying, okay, now you tell me exactly how God does that. Now, wait a minute. I will tell you what God has told me. And I will give you something to think about in just a second, and then that's as far as I can go. Hebrews chapter 12, let's start reading. Therefore, I think we need to read the first two verses, give us uh, context. Therefore, since we are surrounded, that's us, by so great a cloud of witnesses, verse chapter 11, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that, here's why you do that. Consider him who endured such hostility of sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And how have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Listen to this. My son, do not regard highly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens every son when he receives, whom he receives. For it is the discipline, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them, or we were supposed to. Shall we not much more be subject to the fathers of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now, I want to make an observation here for your consideration and your study. I know that the scripture, David made it clear, the Hebrew writer made it clear, is that God disciplines his children for the purpose of making us stronger children. Now, God is good all the time and has in his mind and his motive goodness. I cannot say, I must beware of trying to say, well, did God do that to make me do this? Or, or did God do... Careful trying to pinpoint and trying to isolate God's motives. Because God's motive is singular. That motive is for your good. Always. For your good. It's what I do. David said, when I was afflicted, what I do? I drew into your word closer. 
I did your word more closely. And for time's sake, we won't go and read this, but in Acts chapter 5, when you're in Acts chapter 5, you learn that Peter and the other apostles, they were back in Jerusalem preaching Jesus. And don't you remember, that was that same context where Gamaliel said, now wait a minute, be careful what you do to these men. But prior to that, when they were put in jail the first time, and they were released by an angel of the Lord. Remember that? When you go and read that again, I want you to notice it's down around, it's between verses 23 and 31. I was reading one of uh, Rusty Hill's devotional books. And he made a, a statement that I'll be, I'd never really thought about. And it helped me understand this. He said, I want you to notice that they did not pray. Now, I'm not suggesting, please don't go home and say, the preacher was fussing at me. Stephen was fussing at me because I prayed for this pandemic to end. No, I didn't. No, no, no. Pray for that. Pray for this pandemic to end. Pray for uh, 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 things in, in the White House to be calm. Pray for those things. But yeah, I want you to notice here, you might want to consider deepening your prayer because they didn't pray for freedom. They didn't pray for the persecution to let up. They didn't pray for the way to be easier. But they prayed for boldness to keep serving. Irregardless. Now, God took care of them. But when they prayed, they were thankful that they could be, suffer for His name. But when they prayed for the days ahead, they prayed for boldness to continue serving. I just find that very interesting. When you think about um, when we pray... Now consider this. Last observation, then we'll look at the last point. Again, take it or leave it. But when we think about the difficulties that are new in our time frame, that are these things that have sprung up that's made us stop and, and do things differently than we've ever had to do them in our lifetime, have we considered the opportunity that we have to do what David did and say, Man, when I was afflicted, before I was afflicted, I wasn't as strong maybe as I should, but after I was afflicted, I do, I keep your word. And I, I'm in your word now more than ever. It also makes me think of 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, that passage, no temptation has fallen you, but it's such as common to man, but God will, with every temptation, make a what? a way of escape. And in my mind, I can find myself saying, well, yes, God's way of escape is the, the SEAL team is going to cut a hole in the ceiling and come down in the, uh, with their assault uh, weapons in their, and, and rescue me. Or the A team is going to blow a hole in the wall and roll in and I can roll out. We like those escapes. But what if my way of escape, and I'm just thinking physical, but of course, I'm illustrating. What if my way of escape, all I have is a spoon? And it takes me literally years to dig a hole big enough to get down into a sewer tunnel to get out. We'd say, well, God, I did that. God didn't do that. Are you sure? You escaped, didn't you? 
Did you grow in the process or did you become less in the process? God said, I will make a way of escape. He didn't say the way would be rose petals through an open door. But the way would be clear and it would be a way and you would escape. But you may have to go through some difficulties to get there. Let's look at the second one. God's law should be more valuable to me than thousands, I love that reading, of gold and silver pieces. God's word should be more, power, more valuable to me. That's what David said in this last passage. When I think about my reaction to the way God deals with me, David said that it was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. And now that second phrase suggests to me that that's a result of the first. That this affliction has taught me the word of God better, and now I, have it, I value it. That makes me also think of Job 23 and verse 12. What Job say there? That um, I have kept, I have not turned from the words of his lips. I have kept the words of his lips, the commandments of his lips. I have valued the words from his mouth more than my appointed food, my necessary food. In other words, Job said that hearing what God had to say had a higher priority than necessary food, the food that keeps me alive. In other words, Job said it's more important to survive spiritually than it is to survive physically. I value God's word more than the food I eat. David said, more valuable to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. I wonder if we took Matthew 6... 19 through 20, and we started at verse 20, that talks about our, where our treasure is, there our heart is. And we made a list of all the things that mean something to us in this life and all the things that mean something to us that don't have anything to do with this life. Which list would be longer? Which one would be more important to us? So when you read this passage, literally, David is saying, what's your perspective? What's your perspective about the way God deals with you? Because he does. Every day. Whether you acknowledge it, whether you accept it, whether you use it, he still does. What's your perspective about the way the world deals with God? Because it's going to change how you live in the world. The world doesn't listen. And because of that, see, because the world won't listen, I have to listen even more. Because the world rejects the Word of God, I have to know it even better. And what's my perspective about the way that... Uh, or what's my perspective about how I react, about the way I, I, I respond to the way God deals with me? Do I take difficulties and use them to be better? Because Hebrews 12 is in the Bible. And it's as true as the rest of it. Something to study. Something to think about. And, and now, before you catch me out in the parking lot and say, explain Hebrews 12 to me, I just told you all I know. 
That's one of those passages that you've got to study for yourself and study a little deeper. Okay. Wow. I finished with five seconds left. Somebody better write that down because that never happens. Okay. So if you need to partake of the Lord's Supper, I heard you. Partake of the Lord of the Lord's Supper, please make your way to the back. They're changing. Uh, We're doing it a little different. If you need to take the Lord's Supper, if you'll go to the back, they'll take care of you. Parents, if you'll go get your children. And I hope that each of you will have a blessed week and be safe and study your Bibles. Have a great night.